I mean, it's been so long since our last episode that I had unsubscribed to, to, uh, to ourselves. <laughs> yeah, and I don't even remember the point at which it happened. But why would you? There, I, like, what's the I benefit? I think of I went through a period where I unsubscribed. I was like, I'm gonna go to podcast zero and then build back up to all the quality ones because yeah. I had a bunch of junk yeah, in there. I get that. And I guess ours didn't make the cut. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> Um, I think our audience needs a little more context about where we are, because I think it's been over a year since we did our last episode. Yeah, you're right. But that's without that's that's not without trying. We recorded two <laughs> other episodes in between yeah. that and just never released them. So yeah, maybe that's true. <laughs> maybe when we release our um, like season or our album, I don't really know what podcasters do, but you know how like Taylor Swift has like in her album those specials um with like her talking about her songs or, yeah, like, yeah 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 the memos songs. yeah yeah i think we're at that level too so we'll just like release unedited versions you think so yeah you think but we're mostly to because that? we're too lazy but we'll pitch it as a special for our audience but even her voice memos are highly edited <laughs> Really? Like all, oh, I mean, they're that all makes like sense. less than a minute long. Her whole life is edited. I can't imagine being a celebrity. I walked out. <laughs> I walked outside today. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so egotistical. Anyway, um, I walked out in like my ratty sweatshirt, um, sweatpants, and these bright orange Crocs that are like size 10 men's. And then the whole time I was like, "What if I were famous and someone saw me like this?" <laughs> <laughs> You're just preparing I like, yourself. I, there, there would be so much paparazzi about it. I was like, why am I thinking about this? I like how you're mentally preparing yourself for the inevitable it's day. It's true. It's true. I, I need to mentally prepare myself and get myself in the mindset. Because otherwise, how are you going to be emotionally ready? Yeah, you know? exactly. How I mean, do you don't I get my 10,000 sitting... hours in before I'm famous? Yeah, you I don't, don't want to be start. sitting on daytime television not having rehearsed what you're going to say mm-hmm. about the paparazzi photos mm-hmm. with the orange Crocs. Mm-hmm. That would just be... You get it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so last time uh, our listeners heard, you were a high school teacher. I was at the Nueva School. Shout out to them. And uh, and now what are you doing? Now starting a nonprofit. What? Casual. (laughs) Very casual. (laughs) Um, called Project Invent, work with Mm -hmm. high school students across the country designing tech for social good. Huge Mm -hmm. amount of fun. Um, Honestly, the most fulfilling work I can imagine doing with my, how old am I now? 23-year-old life. And it's just really great being able to work with so many students and be able to uh, hopefully be able to influence how education uh, works from this very, like, standardized worksheet content heavy model to how do we develop kids as whole people as just teaching them the skills to be able to look at the world around them and see um, problems as opportunities for making solutions and changing uh, changing the status quo rather than taking everything as this is how it will be. And I think a lot Mm -hmm. of the way school works, it kind of makes you um, see problems as 
oh, well, if I don't know how to do it now, I'd rather not try than fail. But the idea for Project Invent is students are identifying real problems in their community, designing tech uh, to solve it, and tech being chosen because for a lot of students and adults, it's one of the hardest things they can imagine themselves doing or anyone doing. Mm -hmm. Everyone's like, oh, engineer is the hardest thing to do. So if you show them they can do that, everything just kind of follows for them. Um, so it really builds up their confidence of I can do anything, I can solve anything, and gives them that opportunity to make an impact in their and community. And how many, how many schools is Project Invent? Working with at? 12 schools now all mm -hmm. across the country. Um, mm -hmm. We have teams in bigger cities like Miami or Dallas, but also teams in Provo, Utah, White Salmon, Washington, and they all come together in May in Silicon Valley to present their inventions to uh, tech leaders and investors here, get the chance to um, visit visit companies here and um, Stanford, Berkeley, uh, and just really experience that tech world that's usually off limits to anyone who's outside of kind of these tech bubbles of um, Silicon Valley. Right. And I mean, that is a very different thing than the day-to-day -day job of being a teacher. Was you there... don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You're right. You're right. You caught me. Uh, I, I assume. <laughs> Was there a point, I mean, when, when we released our last episode in October of 2017, did you already know this is something that you were going to do? Was there, what made you feel like this was the right step? I think I just wanted to make a larger impact. And I think that's what has always driven me of how do mm -hmm. I be able to impact the most students. And I think like in, in a school, you're, you're just limited to the cohort right in front of you. And my, my reason for being education is much bigger of, I want to see education change overall, not just um, for, for the students right in front of me. So we started this podcast partly as a way to kind of trace our development as we, you know, went out into the real world. And uh, it's been a couple of years now, our listeners have seen us go from just figuring out our first steps to, you know, you being a teacher, and then now you're taking this new step. If you think back to what your dreams and aspirations were, uh, and just who you were as a person, mm. when you were just entering the real world, do you how do you feel like that's changed or evolved or, or stayed the same? Ooh, Priya with the good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, well, luckily for me, I was applying for business school in senior year too. So I basically mm -hmm. like have a freeze time, what I was thinking at that time, just through my business school essays. Um, mm -hmm. And looking back on those, they were very much similar mission-wise of, I want to change education. It was just much less directed. I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that how, how education is right now um, is not preparing kids for, for, for a future of success or like being able to be like individuals and being able mm -hmm. to uh, ha make their own decisions and being able to solve real problems. So wanted to somehow affect that. And I think like looking back, everything kind of falls into place of like still teaching tech as a vector for um, for learning a lot of those non-tech related skills of teamwork, empathy, creative problem solving, because I just, because my like background in Mackie showed me how 
how incredibly like being in a shop and building things can teach you a lot of those non-tech skills. Um, Mm -hmm. And design thinking has been like a common thread of it of like, I just think design thinking is so cool of being able to be a framework for problem solving and teaching uh, people that every problem is something that can be solved. And that mindset I think is really, really valuable for just helping you like be a good adult who believes in yourself. So I think there are a lot of common threads that like make a lot of sense looking back, but even like 365 days ago, I didn't know I was going to start a nonprofit and I didn't know that this is what would come out of me teaching. Teaching was kind of like, I know education matters to me and like follow that. Let's just follow whatever locally excites me. And then like looking back, it all makes global sense. What do you think the Connie of, you know, let's say three years ago would think of you today? I think me of three years ago would be very happy with where I am. I think like, mm-hmm. I think especially at MIT, there's a lot of talk about like, everyone wants to start something. I think me mm-hmm. of three years ago would be proud that I did. Mm. So I don't know. Maybe they would be less impressed by how poorly I'm able to handle little sleep. They'd be like, <laughs> are you a freaking baby now? <laughs> Eight to what nine hours? Hardcore, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's my life. How about yours? So we left you off when you were in the trenches of job searching. You mm. now have a job you love. Yes. Let's hear about it. I think last time I recorded, I was still at BC. I was still at my last job. Mm. So since then, I have, um, I, I left that job. I took a summer off, kind of, where I, um, I worked with a friend on her startup at an accelerator. And uh, my mom was in town, and so I, I hung out a lot with her. And then I moved to Seattle from Boston to a city where I knew very, very few people, uh, and I started a new job and a new career in uh, product management um, at a company called Rover. So it's been, I've been at that company a year now. So it's exciting. Woohoo. So are you at your one year work anniversary? I think it's like one year and three months. What? Oh, okay. I yeah. missed it. I should have sent you something. Wow. Like a dog incredibly bone. rude of you to not remember that. <laughs> um, so what's, what are your top three takeaways from your first year in product management? So first of all, this career is a better fit for me than anything I've tried in the past. Mm-hmm. So I've tried, I guess, two, three, two things and deeply considered three. Mm-hmm. I've tried uh, uh, mechanical engineering, business consulting, and I deeply considered medical school. And so this one, like my first six months, I was just kind of like floating around. I was so happy that I finally found something that just was much more of a good fit for me than anything else. And uh, I really liked where people I've uh, people I, I was working with and I still really like my job I think when I was job searching I also just had this not having ever had a job that I really loved mm-hmm. I was a little bit skeptical that I ever would find a job that I loved and I wasn't sure if that was you know something that maybe was a personality deficiency or I just wasn't cut out to ever find a job that I would really like and so that's been really nice to to know that that's possible also want to hear about best part of your job day to day? I, I, yeah, I'm still, I'm not sure. I, uh, I think there are two part, two, like, things that 
that I get a lot of satisfaction from uh-huh. in my job right now. And one part is uh, the kind of formulation of what uh, should be done in order to drive some sort of favorable business outcomes, like basically brainstorming like what features to make in mm-hmm. order to uh, in order to make a positive impact. Yeah. Uh, th- that is really satisfying when I find when I find something, and I I realize it's a big opportunity. And I kind of do the math and I, you know, do the user research and I'm like, oh, wow, this is like, this is a cool thing that could really make a difference. That's satisfying. Mm-hmm. And the second part that's satisfying, um, or even just like the day to day of uh, like hours where I can just like write SQL all the time, which sounds really lame. Um, but just even doing data analysis and I'm like, oh, you're I a coder. You know, <laughs> I, yeah, just like, I mean, I'm, this is the closest I'm ever going to get to that. But if I ever have a question where I'm like, oh, you know, I wonder, you know, what maybe like percentage of our sitters own a dog themselves Mm -hmm. you know that's like a really simple question but even just the satisfaction of finding that out is always this small endorphin uh, (laughs) like a rush yeah and then (laughs) it's like taking a hit yeah exactly (laughs) in the nerdiest way possible (laughs) what about for you um life goals outside of work a huge a huge difference a huge like growing opportunity for me has been moving cities yeah just because I didn't I knew just because I had a solid base of people that I knew in Boston and I didn't have that in Seattle Mm -hmm. it was it was it was a very much a challenge that I I wanted to bring upon myself I think outside of work but also even just as I think about work a huge goal of mine in general is to fully understand myself if that makes any sense what do you mean and I think well I think there's a depth of understanding yourself that you only get when you purposely put yourself in challenging situations. Yeah, that's true. And I think I have this desire to feel like I didn't leave any stone unturned in terms of, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess like pushing myself and, and trying to figure out who I really am and how I how I respond in certain situations and how I can be better. Yeah. So taking challenge as that opportunity more so rather than like, oh, that looks hard. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I guess, you know, we all pick and choose what those are yeah. for ourselves. But for me, moving to Seattle has been a huge one. And I think I did learn a lot about mental habits I had formed mm-hmm. and and models of the world that I had formed as a consequence of being of having lived in the same city with the with very similar set of friends for you know five six years mm-hmm. and different things I'd taken for granted and and now I feel like a uh, I have had to be much more intentional about maintaining friendships mm-hmm. and that I think has been a healthy growth opportunity and then be I just feel um stronger and better knowing that uh you know I can move to a new city and and make friends and make a make a new life it just it just makes me feel more self-sufficient in in general which is nice so we have had a book club unofficially for the past couple weeks yes yes um, book club do you want to share which, which books we've read? Obama fan club. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Catalyzed <laughs> by Michelle Obama's release of Becoming. Um, so we read her book, and then we also read... Did you finish Dreams I did. From My Father? I finished okay, two so, days and then ago. We also read, so 
we have a lot of knowledge now, primary research completed uh, about the Obamas and their lives. What, what, what are what are some things that were interesting to you? Yeah, like I feel like both books I read at such a good time mm-hmm. in my life. Mm. Um, I think there were like passages in both that I was like almost brought to tears because I was like, this is so relevant. <laughs> um, but both of them are kind of exploring their path to where they are now. And both of them are like incredible role models and figures. And then they just both seem so genuine and brought up from like, they brought up from like kind of average Joe like backgrounds, Mm -hmm. but just like being like smart people and being people willing to take risks. So it makes it sound more approachable of like, oh, maybe I can have a big influence. This could be me too. Yeah. I think I was telling you that I, I mean, I did mention that I was reading this book uh, about four of the past presidents before Obama. And mm-hmm. one thing that was so interesting reading about uh, Teddy Roosevelt and FDR is you read their stories, like their origin stories. And I mean, they were impressive figures and they obviously were great leaders in some ways, but they both came from just such rich, such mm-hmm. wealthy backgrounds and for both of them their first political run was basically set up by someone else like someone else approached them and was like you should run for this seat uh and and financed it and set it and like made sure it was successful and that's something that was really refreshing or it just feels like it's more relatable to see something like the obamas they're like starting from nothing or starting from uh like without all those that wealth and connections Mm -hmm that is typical in political world. Mm -hmm. And I think like, especially, I don't know if you follow Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but she also like right now very resembles that like started without the connection and wealth and just worked her way up Mm -hmm. and worked her way up with a vision for what America could look like and what her community could look like um, with with the representation that, that she could give. And I think like, she also very resembles kind of what's talked about in Barack Obama and Michelle Obama's book, especially with like Barack Obama, like going to Chicago, like running all of, I think um, I was watching this video of Alexandria um, campaigning and like people would just like walk by her on the street and she'd be like, vote, vote. And then people would be like, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) And then Barack Obama also tells stories from her, his community organizing days in Chicago where like he would organize, he would spend like hours and days and weeks like preparing organizing these meetings to bring people together to um come together around like some topic like getting uh asbestos Mm -hmm. out of the out of the community buildings and then like two people would show up um I was like oh my gosh they have to deal with this too yeah that is it is really inspirational right that to see that okay if Obama can come from those beginnings and still push past that and still be motivated to to work in that field and then accomplish you know great things but uh I I think like the common theme I saw between becoming and dreams from my father was how much they highlight stories and what they say and I think like a, a major thing for both of the books for me was how differently they talk from engineers and um <laughs> and how they talk about like how the world works and I think like engineers are very like put your head down get the work done and then um uh and then just like 
make things happen in that way and like solve problems mm-hmm. quietly and alone. Um, and both of them talk so much about the importance of story, which actually like was something I hadn't heard about until uh, the last year of your story is what connects you with people. And I think mm-hmm. I've always learned about um, your personal story as like, oh, you'll probably bore people with it. I don't know. I like never learned to talk about myself and I never learned that that was an important thing to do. I don't know about you. I think something that I have always that that like I mean so for I was one of those people who also has wanted to start something for a long time but um I do feel like there's a part of me that's like well your story isn't good enough. Mm, yeah. You know. Uh and it's less that oh maybe your story's boring although that's I'll obviously have that concern at parties all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but more that, you know, if you are going to be an entrepreneur and you're going to try to sell others on your story, then you need to, you know, add a couple chapters to mm-hmm. it. <laughs> and I think that's what has been more my um, anxiety and kind of um, insecurity with the with the storytelling thing. Yeah. I think one thing that reading the books did for me is it totally rebranded in my mind public service Mm. and in general work done either with policy or in politics or uh, in nonprofits. like it totally rebranded all of that in my mind I think before um I very much had this brand in my mind that that whole entire sphere of work is really slow and bureaucratic Mm -hmm. and you know change doesn't really happen and even if change does happen, it's not going to be by someone like me. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, after reading those books, I was like, damn, maybe I'll go to law school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think it was uh, like it, it, it. reading their books was effective. And I, I really do. It didn't leave me feeling like, hey, I have a responsibility towards my community mm-hmm. and uh, to, to be more involved in my community. Like. I've never really followed local politics, but there are small but definite ways that I can make a difference in my community. And then B, that that these types of works, whether it be, you know, government or, or nonprofit or politics actually can really make a difference. Yeah. And I think for both of them, like, I, I think for things in politics, I often find them so canned and they suddenly made it relatable. Um, but I mean, they're, they're eternal heroes. I ended up like I ended up marking up my book so much um and the part in Barack Obama's book that uh really like stuck with me was he was telling the story about how in college he was part of this rally and he like gave a mini speech up for part of it and then uh they it was like a pretty small rally the um college officials walked by and kind of smirked at it and then afterwards at a party, um, he was like debriefing this rally with a friend. Then he was like, I don't think I'm going to do rallies anymore. That was actually kind of stupid. Like, I don't think we made any change. And I felt kind of embarrassed. And then the girl he was talking to just like went off at him and was like, this isn't about you and your ego. This is about the people mm. who you are trying to serve and you need to stop making about yourself. Uh, and I was like, oh, my gosh, that was kind of at the point when in within Project Invent, 
I was struggling so hard with fundraising because I kept thinking mm-hmm. about how like, oh my gosh, these people are going to hate me because they think I'm just like pounding down their doors for money. Um, mm-hmm. And I totally was making it all about myself and my own ego. Yeah. And then that like what put me down a path of like, okay, how do I reframe what I do as a nonprofit to be all about the students? Um, and everything, mm-hmm. every time I think about at any time, like a thought that is about me creeps into my head. How do I reframe that to be like, I'm approaching these people to be a vessel for this impact uh, within education and for these kids. So I like, right after reading that, I was like, my, I, my eyes are filled with tears. I was like changing all my phone backgrounds to, <laughs> to students. Cause I was like, I need a visual reminder. <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ, Connie. Yeah. That's a really good story from that. I actually had forgotten that one for me. I mean, you're, you're going to remember the stories that feel like most resonant mm-hmm, with you yeah. for what you're going through at the time. And when I read his book, uh, I read this the part where he he talked about like after he graduated I think I already told you this but after he graduated Columbia he got this job you know at this big firm I mean I don't even know what it was it was probably it was maybe it was business consulting maybe it was a bank like whatever yeah. it was and he he was there for at least a year maybe even two and he rose to the ranks he got to the point where he even had his own secretary mm-hmm. and he was just like loved by everyone and he had been this guy in college who had these ideals and who had these I mean, he, he like, you know, spoke at rallies and he um, thought a lot about how to make the world a better place. And then, but when he was caught up in this kind of, and Michelle talked about this too, how in senior year, everyone gets caught up in like, what's going to happen next and who, what, like, how are you going to make money? Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, what's the next prestigious step? He got caught up in that too. And he just kind of looked at himself one day and he was disgusted and he literally went and quit and then just walked around not knowing what he was going to do with his life. So one thing that was obviously that was resonant about that was I obviously was a business consultant and I, I do feel like I fell into it in a similar way that he fell into his job and, and and how Michelle fell into law school, which was you're graduating. You don't know what to do next. This feels like a low risk thing to try, Mm -hmm. but then a lot of what a lot of people told me, including you is, you know, like there is a risk there, which is that you will, kind of forget the passion and the ideals that you have the longer you stay there and so a it was inspirational to read about him kind of throwing that off like throwing those throwing the leash off or whatever the expression is um but then b was also inspirational that it's not like he like i i would think of him as the type of person who usually has a plan when he quit, he didn't have a plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he didn't know what what he was going to do next. And I think that even just reading that and feeling like, okay, that's a little bit more permission that you don't need to know what you're going to do next. You know, it's like sometimes it's enough to just know that you want more mm-hmm. uh, and you don't need to have the next thing figured out when you decide that. Yeah, I love how I think that is a, that's good reminder of for like, autobi- Reading autobiographies is kind of like looking for permission for like different like life choices because these are people you're inspired by and if they did it like why can't you exactly Thanks for listening to our latest episode of It Girls. We cannot promise you much, but I think we can safely try to promise that it won't take another year and a half till the next one. What do you think? Do you feel comfortable making that promise, Connie? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's too much commitment. You know, for, for our loyal listeners, I'll do it.
I'll, I mean, I'll what can even we say though? Like we're millennials, we don't like commitment. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we are going to Arizona in March, so uh, we're pretty excited, and we might have some stories from that. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah, some good content coming your way. Yeah. Well, hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye. Bye.